Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Good morning. Great to see you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And if you haven't already found it, inside your message, uh, your program is a message note sheet. It's green and white. We use it every week for our time of teaching. And so if you guys are all set, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay. God, we're just excited to be here on this journey, uh, learning more what it means to pierce the darkness, to be part of that light on a hill. And so, God, we just want to invite you to come in and to be here with us in a powerful way. Um, God, we just pray for this world that we're in. Uh, it's a world increasingly dark. God, even this week, the coup in Turkey, the, the attempted coup there, the, the uh, slaughter in France, the, just this morning, or more officers shot and killed in Baton Rouge. God, we just pray that, um, that you would help us to have your perspective and how to be part of the solution. God, we just pray that we'd be part of that light piercing the darkness in a world that so desperately needs to hear about King Jesus. And we thank you in the midst of all this chaos, God, that you are so much on the throne. And Jesus, you are ruling, you're carrying out your plans. And so we pray that you'd give us wisdom and how to work with you in that. And that even today, as we talk about learning to listen and follow, how to hear your voice in our life, we pray that you direct us in a powerful way, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're uh, continuing this series that we started last week called Sent Piercing the Darkness, and for those of you who are brand new, this is actually like the fourth, um, think of it like a mini-series in a longer-running series, think of it like the fourth season of a, a longer drama um, that's uh, based on a study that's uh, uh, based on a book in the New Testament. It's one of the most important books in the New Testament called the book of Acts, where the author, Luke, kind of documents the rapid rise and expansion of the movement of Jesus from the first days after the resurrection, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, as the movement of Jesus moves all the way over the next 30 years to, to the center of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. And so if you're here last week, we watched as uh, the Apostle Paul is gathering his team of leaders, a brand new team, he gathers a, a man named, uh, he, he adds a man named Silas to his team, who's one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, an awesome guy, prophetic gifts and so on. Uh, and he offers, and, and then they add uh, on their route, they add this younger man named Timothy to him. So the three of them have started this journey. Uh, and the initial plan was to go back uh, and to share Jesus and kind of revisit the churches that they started on their first Jesus sharing uh, expedition. Kind of, we call it Paul's first missionary tour. And so uh, they, they kind of head off in that direction. Now, to get oriented today, you're going to need your map. And so let's open that up to, there's a section called Hearing God 101, Listen and Follow. And uh, this map is really small. So what I'd suggest if you can't read it is take a picture with your smartphone and then you can expand it. <laughs> so uh, it's hard to get it all on one page here. But anyway, uh, we're going to go to the right side of the map, so all you are 20 or younger, you can follow me along while everyone else is taking their picture. Uh, on the right side of your map, you see the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was, remember, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. This is also where uh, the Apostle Paul, the whole, his home church now, is from. And so this is where they, they head off. So he and Silas head north, and you follow the arrows going north, and then they begin to go west, and they go through the city of Tarsus, which would be where uh, Paul's hometown was, a uh, university city there. And then they go on and they move on to Derby, Lystra, and a second Antioch, well, Antioch of Pisidia. Now, if you were here during the last series, these were the cities that Paul and his team that time, Barnabas, had established churches. They'd shared Jesus for the first time, had never been shared there. People had come to Christ, they'd started churches. And so the whole point of this first journey, of the second journey, was at least initially to go back and see how these Christians who had just come to Jesus a couple years before, how they're doing, right? So that's where they're going to head. But today they're going to face a challenge. And the challenge is when they get to Antioch of Pisidia, that they have to make a decision, where do we go next? And remember, the whole Roman Empire is their oyster. I mean, they can go anywhere, right? The message of Jesus is really new. And so the question is, where do they go next? And so here's what's going to happen. It's really interesting. Uh, what makes sense is that there's a major east-west interstate, Roman interstate. Uh, I'm not sure it was I something. No, but uh, it was called the Via Sebast, uh, Via Road, Via Sebast. And uh, it ran from east to west, and so that's the road they're traveling on. So when they get to the second Antioch, what makes sense is that they would just keep going 
and they would go into the Roman province of Asia. Right? And the, the capital of the Roman province of Asia is Ephesus. Ephesus was probably the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, so it makes perfect sense they would go there. If you're going to launch a movement, let's go to the big cities and launch there. From there, the message can spread out. And sure enough, years later, God will lead Paul to Ephesus, and he'll spend longer there than any other place, three years, and have an amazing ministry. So this is what makes sense, but at this point, as they head in that direction, the Holy Spirit says no. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit says no. We don't know whether it was an audible voice, whether it was an internal voice, whether it was a passage of Scripture that really spoke powerfully to them. We don't know if it was a vision or a dream, as we'll see later on today. We don't know if it was a word of prophecy. We know both Paul and, and Silas were pro prophets, could be a prophetic word. Uh, we don't have circumstances, but somehow the Holy Spirit makes really clear, don't go to Asia, right? So I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your own life, where you have a plan for your life, and it's really clear and obvious what it needs to be, but as you get there, you sense the Holy Spirit saying, no, it's not, that's not it. Wait, don't go there. And so what's really interesting in this story is that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell them where to go. He just tells them where not to go. So they, they get there. Like if you look at your map, let's get oriented here. If you look at your map, you see Ephesus on the map. It's kind of straight across from that second Antioch, a little bit more to the west. So that's, that's the province of Asia, right? Now if you were to go north on this map, uh, see the, find the Black Sea. Find the Black Sea. The province right below, there's not, a, there's not a lot of room to write all the different provinces here, but the province below the Black Sea would be called Bithynia. So after the Holy Spirit says, hey, no, don't go to Ephesus, don't go west, they decide, well, let's try north. And so they travel north. And this is like several uh, weeks it's going to take. It's hard travel over high mountain passes, bandits and all. And they finally, let's go to Bithynia. But when they get to Bithynia, we're going to be told that the Spirit of Jesus tells them no. And once again, you're kind of like, uh, Lord, anything else? <laughs> you know, we got a second closed door, but we're, you're telling us where not to go. But, and so they're going to head next down. They're going to backtrack to Troas. Okay, so Troas is in an area called Mysia, and uh, it's a major Roman seaport. And uh, it's a place where east meets west. In fact, today, in today's geography, they wouldn't have thought it like this, but in today's geography, Troas is in Asia, the continent of Asia. And if you look right across the sea where the arrows go, it's going to go to a little seaport called Neapolis. And Neapolis would be in Europe. And so they get to Troas, and it makes perfect sense. A place where east meets west, a lot of traffic, a lot of roads are going to lead through there. Perfect, it's a major city. A Roman city, major, makes sense. Let's share Jesus here. But the Holy Spirit's going to say, no. And so what we're going to watch today is we're going to watch as the Holy Spirit kind of leads them step by step, but not so much like telling them where to go as where not to go. And it's going to be really interesting. All right, so let's take our Bibles, our apps. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. And we're just looking at I have five or six verses today. I'm going to go quickly. So verse 6 Just for you to know, I've got a lot of, I've got feedback coming from these speakers. I've got beeps going on and stuff like that. So I'll let you guys work on that. But um, <laughs> I can't answer my phone. Hello? Um, so, um, so Paul and his companions, so be Silas, remember, uh, they started with, and Timothy, they picked up last week in Derby. They traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So if you follow your arrows on your map, you don't see Phrygia, you do see Galatia, that general area. So they're going through these cities, right, that they visited on their first trip, started on their first trip. Uh, and they're, but it says they're, they're kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So again, we don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke, but somehow the Holy Spirit is very clear, don't go to Asia, which is where Ephesus would be. Uh, that's what makes sense. No, don't go there. But he doesn't show them where to go. So they kind of move north, and so they come to the border of Mysia, uh, and they try to enter Bithynia. So Bithynia, right below the Black Sea. And that's what their next plan is. But the Spirit of Jesus, so notice the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, Jesus still directing his church through the Holy Spirit. Uh, would not allow him to go. 
Okay, so boom, they hit another closed door. And so now they're going to pass by, or in the Greek it actually says through, through Mysia, which would be to the left of Bithynia, and they go down to Troas. And you see that on the map. And so at this point, I don't know about you, but I'd be feeling a little bit confused. I've been traveling for weeks now. Um, I think that's where we're supposed to go. I'm trying to figure out where to go next. And all I keep getting is closed doors. And so the question is, God, what are you doing? And I don't know their emotional state, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. A little confused, a little like, what's going on? But the reality is, is God has them right where he wants them. And so in Troas, that God is going to give Paul a vision. But the interesting thing about this vision is how muddled it is. It's not very clear. So let's see what happens. So in chapter 16, verse 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision, and he's a man from Macedonia. Okay, so let's get clear on our map. So Macedonia, it picks up there. You see Neapolis. And you, as you see, as they're going to continue to journey west, uh, they're going to go to Neapolis and Philippi and Amphipolis and Polynesia and Thessalonica and Berea. Those are all in the area of Macedonia. In fact, if you look to the left even further, you'll see it labeled Macedonia. But that, that whole region is Macedonia. So we go back to the story then. So he has this vision in the middle of the night. And, um, and in his vision, he has a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. <laughs> now, first of all, I don't know how he knows he's from Macedonia. I mean, do they all dress the same way? Um, does he have, like, a certain accent? Like, hey, y'all, come to Macedonia. I, I don't know, you know, like how he knows. But for Paul, it's very clear. This guy's from Macedonia, right? And so, uh, and so it's, it's clear to him that the guy's from Macedonia, but the message is not overly clear. Hey, come to Macedonia. Help us. We need help. Like, is it the pizza, Right? Like, what's going on? Like, I can tell you're from Louisiana by the accent, but I don't know what you mean, the Cajun food? I, like, I don't know, like, what you mean, right? But this is as good as it's going to get. This is as clear as it's going to get. And so notice what, what uh, Luke writes. He says, after Paul had seen the vision, what's the next word? We. <laughs> I've got 18 versions here. Let's uh, like NIV, all right. After Paul had seen the vision, next word? We, right. We, catch that, first time we've seen we in Acts. Up to this point, Luke's our author, it's they went there, they went there, they were here. First time it's we. And so what we believe happened is that, that actually Luke, our author, who we know is a close friend of, the of, Paul, of Paul, has actually joined the journey at this point. And so we're going to get some firsthand now, into like he was there, and that we will go with us to Philippi next week, and then after Philippi we won't see we a while. Uh, and then later on, Paul will come back to Philippi, and we will start again, which leads us to believe, good chance, Luke was staying, living in Philippi at this time. But uh, anyway, so, but catch what it says. It says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, and catch this, concluding. In other words, this wasn't super clear, but putting two and two together, you look at the chessboard, where the signs indicating, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, we're concluding that God's called us to preach the gospel. That's like, hey, we're trying to figure out all these closed doors. We see a guy from Macedonia calling us. It seems like from the Lord. That must be what, that's must be what, you see what I'm saying? He's kind of putting it all together. So it's a really interesting passage. It's one of those fascinating passages on, in all the Bible on how God leads his people. And, uh, and obviously a momentous occasion as God is leading them out of the continent of what we call today Asia into Europe for the first time. It's tremendous implications. But for today, what fascinates me is just like how God speaks in our life and how he leads. And there's some great lessons, I think, in this short passage about how God speaks to us in our lives and how important it is for us to learn how to listen and follow if we're going to grow and become uh, the people that we are created to be and we'll make a difference and live life on mission and pierce the darkness. So uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Hearing God, Four Life Lessons. So let's jump in. The first thing that jumps out at me from this passage and from Acts in general is that God is still speaking. I think one of the things that Luke wants us to understand is that when we enter into a relationship with God via Jesus Christ, 
that we enter into a relationship with a God who's alive and well. He's not the God of the pagans that doesn't speak. He's a God who is alive and well and speaks to his people. That when you come to Jesus, when I come to Jesus, we receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to speak to us. Now, when I say God's speaking, I don't necessarily mean in literal words. We'll talk about that later. I mean, God, God can speak in a wide variety of ways. Any of you who are married know that you don't need words to communicate, right? For good or bad. Like a, a, just a look across the room. Okay, I got it, right? You know, right? Uh, and so, so often the most effective communication between God and us is not even with words. It's thought to thought. It's mind to mind. It's heart to heart. And so we'll talk about that more later on. But, but one of the things you see is very obvious in Acts is that when you step into a relationship with Jesus, when you step into a relationship with God through his son Jesus, that, that we step into a relationship with a living, speaking, communicating God that uh, this is not the God of the pagans. It's not the God of our modern world. Often, that, that often we talk about today, about, uh, in our culture today, people, people talk about uh, God as, as sort of, you know, the, kind of sort of, uh, the force or something. Or that God is like uh, the energy field. We're all part of God or something. What we see is that the God is revealed in Jesus Christ as a very personal God. He's a God who thinks. He's a God who feels. He's a God who communicates and speaks to his people. And we've seen this all the way through Acts. And this seems to be one of Luke's agendas of helping us understand as a follower of Jesus, when you step into a relationship, we step into a relationship with a living, dynamic, communicating God. And we've seen this over and over. Let me just refresh your memory. Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit. I'm using, I'm using words very precisely here, quoting. In chapter 8, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, Run up by that chariot and stay by it. Do you remember that? In chapter 10, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. Go downstairs. There are three men. Do not hesitate to go with them. I have sent them. Do you remember that? Uh, we've seen in Acts chapter 10, uh, and, and then today in chapter 6, we've seen visions. God speaks through visions. And so in Acts chapter 10, do you remember when God, uh, the, the sheet comes down from heaven three times to Peter? Uh, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. We've seen that, a key moment in church history. We see today, where do we go next? A man from Macedonia, come and help us. We'll talk about another vision that happens later in Acts uh, today. And so we've seen God communicate through visions and dreams. We've seen God communicate through prophetic words. We've seen, uh, for example, in, uh, uh, in chapter 11, there's a prophet named Agabus travels from Jerusalem to Antioch, 300 miles to the north. And uh, he prophesies and says there's going to come a, a, an empire-wide famine, uh, and we need to get ready. And so the church of Antioch responds at once, takes a special initiative for the poor, for the poor Christians in Jerusalem, sends it via Paul and Barnabas. Chapter 13, the leaders of the church of, An of Antioch were together fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit said, separate Saul and Barnabas for the ministry that I've called them to. We see, we've seen God speak through his word in Acts, haven't we? The very first church that starts in Jerusalem, they were told they devoted themselves to four things. And the first thing was the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, the word of God that we have in our New Testament. We've seen throughout Acts that they're constantly going back. What does the word say when they're making these decisions? And then we see today, though, Luke doesn't spell out how the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and Silas. Very clear. Don't go to Asia. Don't go to Bithynia. And then through the vision, go to Macedonia. And so Luke wants us to understand that as followers of Jesus, this is normative. That God, we have come into relation with a God who speaks, a God who communicates, and it's critical we learn how to listen and follow if we are going to grow up and pierce the darkness, make a difference uh, in our own life. I love how um, Henry Blackaby, you know, famous pastor, author, he wrote the book years ago, Experiencing God, that was so, uh, so uh, influential. He said, if a Christian does not know when God is speaking, he is, in, uh, he is in trouble at the heart of his Christian life. Now, let's talk about this for just a second, because whenever I talk on this topic, I'm very conscious of this, as I talk to followers of Jesus, that we've had different experiences. And for some of you in this room, when I talk about God speaking or God directing or God guiding or God teaching, 
you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced this in your life. You've been reading the word at a point in your life, and all of a sudden a passage comes off the page, and God is directing you about something you've been praying about. Uh, you know the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you know that often when you're praying for direction, you just sense his peace over a certain decision that's deeper than mental, it's deeper than how you feel, that there's a, a deep peace of God that comes on a decision. Some of you have experienced God's audible voice. You've experienced his internal voice. You've experienced words of prophecy that you've experienced God speaking, and it's a big part of your life, and you can't imagine going through life without it, and that you, you've you, you feel like you're able to pray and ask God for direction, and you get that. And it plays a huge part in your life, and you can't imagine it. And so for many of you, that's your experience, right? But I'm also uh, conscious that in the body of Christ, there are people who love Jesus, walk with Jesus. They would say, you know, honestly, I'm not sure if I've ever experienced that. But what I've found is I meet with Christians like this, as I talk with them, that often we have experienced the voice of God. We just have not recognized it. Uh, do you remember, uh, uh, you think of uh, uh, the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament, and when God first speaks to him, he keeps going and waking up the high priest, right? Like he doesn't recognize it. I think that often happens uh, in our life. Um, that I think of, um, I think of, for example, um, every month we have next step desserts at our house, designed for newcomers, guests at Rocky Peaks, about 20, 25 people, uh, guests every month, and we we just get together and spend some time getting to know one another, sharing stories. Uh, here's the story of the church, and here's where we're going. Here's our vision, values. It's just a great time of connection, right? And one of the questions we always ask is, why did you first come to Rocky Peak? Who invited you, or how did you find your way here? And then why did you come back? And can I tell you from these very newcomers, that we hear this all the time, very, very, not, like not even odd at all. Sometimes they're not even believers yet. But they will report that the moment they stepped in through the doors of that worship center, that they sensed something, the presence of God. They couldn't even put their words on it. Uh, many times, uh, uh, they, I, we, Lynn and I were at the dinner lot with a lady last night after the service, and she said before the music even started, she felt God spoke to her and said, you are home. And that is not unusual. I hear that story here all the time. One that I hear even more often, especially in those next steps, is often when worship begins. That the, the presence of God is so, like people will say, I'm not even a crier, but I can't stop crying. I tell people it's part of our DNA. <laughs> we call it the Kleenex, the Kleenex factor, you know? <laughs> it's like, they'll say, I, I, I don't even know what happens. It's both men and women. It's like, I can't what is happening is there's a presence of God that's communicating, you're in the right spot. But they don't recognize it as that. They often just recognize it as, I don't know why I'm crying. It's crazy. Right? Uh, here's something I hear all the time. And it doesn't matter whether I'm teaching or Dave's teaching or Dre, but I have people all the time saying, when you were speaking, I felt like the message was just for me. Like, I don't know why everyone else bothered to show up. <laughs> I, I, it just blows me. I had a guy last time that's just uh, either a brand new believer, not a believer. He said, it was weird. It's like you're reading my mail. <laughs> and while that's true for some of you, <laughs> it's not true for most of you. So what is happening when that's happening? What's happening is that the Holy Spirit is just opening your eyes to truth in such a powerful way that you sense this truth impacting you so strongly. It feels like it's just for you. But the reality is, is that the message wasn't designed for you. The message, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is taking his word and applying it to your life in such a profoundly personal way that it's becoming the word of God to you. And it's important we recognize that because otherwise we go out and say, man, what a powerful message. And then we blow it off because uh, Michael was really on today and who cares? <laughs> but if we recognize what's going on, no, it's God speaking. It suddenly takes on a whole nother level of I better be listening. 
But the point is, we often don't reckon. When people come to Jesus, one of the surest signs that someone's been born again is the word of God comes alive. That before you tried to read it, you hear it just felt ridiculous, old book, doesn't make sense, whatever. And you come to Jesus, and all of a sudden it starts speaking. But often we don't recognize that for what it is. The Holy Spirit is communicating. The Holy Spirit is opening eyes. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You know, I remember, I shared this last night. I wasn't planning on sharing it this weekend, but it came up last night, so i just gone with it. When I was uh, in high school, later high school, uh, I fell in love with a young woman that was beautiful, bright, and she thought I was really cool. <laughs> and that was a trifecta I had never experienced up to that point. <laughs> the beautiful and the bright, yes. But uh, anyway, so... The problem with this was, is that I had just come out of an unhealthy relationship where we'd been pushing sexual boundaries, unfaithful to God, right? And I just really felt like I needed to step away and just really pursue God and go through a relational fast. I needed to like, cleanse my heart and seek God. And so I had made a commitment to God that I am not going to date for this season. And of course... Right after that comes Miss Bright, beautiful, loves Jesus, and loves me. And so what do I do? I disobey Jesus. I violate my vow because she was too good to pass up. And so as I'm in this relationship now, it's like eating away at me, right? Because you know what this is like. You know when God's like talking to you and you know you're doing the wrong thing, but you're just trying to uh, hold on, you know. And I remember one day I was reading in Proverbs, and this verse just locked on. It's like I'm reading it, it comes alive, it locks on, like laser lock. And here's what it said. It's Proverbs 22. It says, a good name is more to be desired than, than gold and riches. Now you say, what does that have to do with Miss Beautiful and Bright? Well, what the Holy Spirit was showing me, I didn't even recognize it at the time, but the Holy Spirit, it's like laser lock, was that if I could put it into words, I would put it like this, Michael, the most important thing about you is your character. The most important thing about you is your name. It's more important than anything else in life, and right now you are violating your true name. Right now you are not being who I've called you to be. You're not being who you are. You are stepping out, and you're not protecting your name, your identity. And I can't even explain it, but I just knew it was powerful. And I got the message, and the next day I broke up with her. It was one of the hardest things I'd ever done up to that point in my life. Because it was truly, I felt like I was living a movie. I mean, I seriously. You know, it's like, it like you feel like you're in a movie. It's just so amazing. One of the hardest things, but, but God had spoken. But here's the thing. What I want you to catch is when I read that verse that night, I would not have just said, God spoke to me. I just felt like, I don't know, I saw something powerful or something. Years later, that became a common way God would speak to me. It became normative. And, and then I look back like three years before, and I'm like, oh, that's what was going on back there. And here's what I want you to catch is new believers or younger believers or believers who've never grown in this or been taught, whatever it is, is that often you'll feel like, hey, God has never spoken to me. And the reality is he's speaking to you all the time. You're just more like a two-year-old that's not learned to interpret language yet, you see? And so here's the point. If we're going to grow up, if we're going to mature, that this is critical, we learn how to recognize and then listen and follow what he's saying. Look at your note sheet. A quote there from uh, uh, Blackaby. Did we already do the Blackaby quote? Okay, let's go on the Heibel's quote then. These services all run together. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so Bill Hybels, pastor, you know, Willow Creek back in uh, Chicago. Great book, Too Busy Not to Pray. It says, authentic Christianity is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people all marching the same way. It's not simply humanitarian service to the less fortunate. It's a walk. It's a supernatural walk. Catch this with a living, dynamic, communicating God. And thus the heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. Hey, the heart, did you catch that? The heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice 
and then developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. Okay? Number one, God is still speaking. Number two, the second, the second principle kind of balances the first, and it's very important we balance these. And it goes like this, that God speaks in his time. Um, originally, I put in his own time. It could be, you could write in, in his own sweet time. <laughs> in other words, we often want God to speak, and God does speak, but he doesn't always speak on command. He doesn't always speak when we want him to speak. In fact, oftentimes, God will not speak, and he will let us go in times of darkness. And you see this as you read through the Bible. You know, often as we read through the Bible, we forget that the Bible is a spiritual highlight book. Like some of you, uh, some of you are sports fans, right? And so, so like you understand like uh, ESPN Sports Center. Like at the end of the day, it kind of summarizes the plays of the day, right? So let's imagine like someone comes here, immigrates from England right now because of Brexit, right? They immigrate here and... Um, and so they, they want to learn about American football. They've never seen a game. Right? They've never seen a game, but they want to learn about real football, you know, the kind that, like, real men play. Uh, yeah. Not just that little footsie thing. Not, yeah, okay. All right. Just kidding, just kidding. It's war I'm warming up to it, you know. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, so let's say he's never seen a game, and so he turns on SportsCenter at the, at the start of the NFL season to see all the, and he watches the highlights. This is an amazing game. Amazing catches, amazing runs, amazing. A, wow, a lot of action. I can't wait to see a whole game. And then you see a whole game, and it's like, are you serious? Three yards in a tackle, three yards in a tackle, three yards in a tackle. Boring. You know, so... If you are watching SportsCenter, you think that's what football is about. You think that's the way the game is played. You've got a lot to learn, right? That there are going to be some amazing plays. They're not going to come when you want them, every play. In the same way, when we read the Bible, the Bible is a spiritual highlight reel. So we read it back to back. Abraham, God says, go here. Abraham, God says, do this. Abraham says, take your son. Abraham says, like God is always speaking, and we forget that passage with a few chapters just took 35 years. Right? So God is speaking, but there's lots of times when Abraham is in the dark. And that's true of not just Abraham, that's true of all of God's people. There are times when God is speaking very clearly. There are times when God is letting his people go through times of great darkness, times of confusion, times of silence. And here's what I want you to catch, that is normative. That in our lives, we should expect this. There are times when God will be clear. There are times when you pray and pray and pray and God is silent. And you see that in this passage here. You watch it, God is not near as clear as you would hope he would be. They start in the second Antioch of Pisidia. Where do we go? And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, don't go there. Well, where should I go? Silence. Okay, well, let's try north. They get there. Not, not here either. Okay, well, well, try this way. And even when they get there and there is a vision of the Macedonian man, how muddled is that? It's like, I recognize he's from Macedonia, and he's like, hey, come and help us. But I mean, couldn't you be a little bit more specific? Like, like, for example, later on in this same journey, Paul will go eventually to Corinth in southern Greece. And when he's in Corinth, he will begin to experience some opposition, serious opposition. So he's considering leaving town. And Jesus will show up in the vision. And Jesus will say, don't be afraid to stay. I will protect you. I've got many people who are going to come to faith in this city. Now, I call that clear, right? So why couldn't Jesus show up in Troas and say, hey, Paul, uh, I want you to go to Macedonia and share the message there. Hey, better yet, why couldn't he show up back in Antioch and say, hey, from here, head north, go through Troas, hit Macedonia, that's your next assignment. 
Why the guessing game? Why the mystery? And here's what I want to suggest. It's in the times of darkness, the times of mystery, the times of silence, and the times of confusion that God often does his best work in our lives. As you look through the story of the Bible, it's in the times where God is silent. It's in the times of darkness. It's in the times of confusion when God is not speaking. What happens was it draws us closer, doesn't it? It locks us on. It causes us to seek God. It causes us to, to, it causes us to lay off all the weights that hold us back and the distractions. And we get serious with God. We say, is there anything you want to say? And it's during that time of confusion, God prepares us for the next step in our lives. And the beautiful thing is, is that although the Holy Spirit's direction for Paul and his team is very partial and often confusing, the beautiful thing is that he gets them right where he wants them to go. And he stages them perfectly at Troas. And once at Troas, he says, now you are ready for your next assignment. And so here's what I want you to catch. The times of darkness, times of confusion, times of silence, that's normal. It doesn't mean there's something necessarily wrong. Now, if you're living in disobedience, that's a whole different issue. We'll talk about that later. But if you're following Jesus, you're surrendered to him, you're asking for direction, don't be surprised if direction always doesn't come when you want it or if it's not clear because God is doing something deeper in your life, preparing you for the next step. And here's the other thing. This is something I often encourage myself that in times of lack of direction, in times of confusion, in times of darkness, here's what I often remind myself. Michael, Jesus has been very clear with you many times. If he is choosing not to be clear with you right now, it's because he is doing something in the dark that he can't do in the light. There is something in your life that's praying. So don't, so don't freak out, uh, you know. And so we've all experienced this, right? There's times in your life where God is very clear. You pray for direction and very clear. There's other times when you pray and it's like just one closed door after another. It feels like no answer is coming. Don't assume that nothing is happening. God is doing something very profound in your life. You just need to keep on taking one step at a time. And that leads us to the number three. Number three is that God speaks one step at a time. Now, this is generally true. In other words, when God leads us in our life, even when he is leading us, that it's usually one step at a time. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. I think of Moses, right? God says to Moses, go down to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. He will resist you. I will show signs and powers. I will destroy him. He will harden his heart, but I will break through. I'll bring you out, and then you'll worship me with the nation of Israel right here at this mountain where I'm talking to you today. Now, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> but I'm telling you, that is not usually the way the story goes. The story usually goes like this. Hello, Abraham. Yes, I'm God. <laughs> oh, good to meet you. You know those moon gods you've been worshiping in Earth? Yeah, I'm not real God. I'm the real God. I'm the creator God. All right. All right, so uh, I've got a job for you. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to leave everything. Um, I'd like you to leave your home and leave your family. You can take your immediate family, but leave your extended family. Um, you can take your animal. In fact, you can take your nephew, Lot. But... Uh, I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Uh, oh, okay, God, so where's that? I'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> I love how Hebrews describes it. It says that, that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And this is the norm. As you study Scripture, this is the norm. God doesn't tell us the end from the beginning. And there's a powerful reason for this. I know the reason for this is what God wants to create more than anything else in our life is trust. We call it faith, but I think a stronger word for us is trust. And you stop and think about it, trust is the currency of relationship. No relationship can go deeper than its level of trust. 
And the biggest problem of the human race ever since the garden is we've lost our trust in God. And the relationship can't go deeper than the level of trust. I think of this in terms of separation anxiety from a young child. You know, when you, you have children, some of you have them now, young children, they get to that maybe year, year and a half, they often go through a stage we call separation anxiety. They get freaked out because if you leave them anywhere, they think you're never coming back. And so they want to hang on your leg. So you take them like to kids ministry and, and you want to put them there and, and leave them. And they're like screaming and crying. But here's the reality is that they have to learn that you are still with them when they can't see you. They have to learn that you will never leave them in a place that's unsafe. They have to learn that you will always come back for them. If they don't, they'll spend their whole life, they'll be 18 years old hanging on your leg. And it's really not near as cute, you know, when they're 18. Some of you are doing that. Knock it off. It's just not. So what happens is when your trust level is low, you have to hang on very close, and you have to constantly hear your mother's voice, and you have to constantly, everything's okay. But as long as your that trust level is so low, your world is very small. You can't go off into kids' ministry. You can't have fun. You can't meet other kids. You can't do other things because your trust level is so low. If we're going to grow up, if we're going to make an impact, if we're going to pierce the darkness, if we're going to become the people we're created to be, if we're going to create awesome marriages and families and learn how to live life to the full in every area, we have to grow up in our trust of God. If we need every second for him to say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, our world gets very small. And so one of God's top priorities for our life is to teach us to trust him. And how does he do that? He often does it by teaching us one step at a time. It's like, hey, take this step. Well, what's going to happen next? Uh, I'm not telling you that. Just take one step. And as we learn to listen and follow, our faith increases until we don't have to know how the story is going to end. We have confidence in the author of the story. And if you know the author of the story, and you have confidence in your father, he's a good father, you don't have to know everything that's going to happen. And there comes freedom with that. And so God trains us by one step at a time. And so even when God speaks, it's one step. And so what do we see here? We see this, okay, one step. Step number one is don't go to Asia. All right. Well, let's go to Bithynia. Nope. Step number two, don't go to, like one step at a time until he finally comes to a place. Okay, now here's the next step. But even there, all the step is just go to Macedonia. He doesn't tell him here's your travel log, here's your itinerary for the next year and a half. He's like, just go to Macedonia. We'll figure this thing out. Now here's the thing. This is very hard for us. As human beings, and because we lack trust in God, we want to know the end from the beginning. So God, you want me to break up with this girl who's bright and beautiful and likes me? Uh, what's going to happen if I do? Will I ever find anyone else who's bright and beautiful who still likes me? Like, I want to know. If, I, if I'm in a relationship and I'm dating a non-believer and... And God is telling me, like, what are you doing? Like, well, but they're the best person I've found. And all the Christian guys have been losers. And so this guy, at least he's a winner, maybe not a Christian. Right? And so we're trying to figure this thing out. So we, we're trying to project our future. I will obey once I see how it's going to work out. God's calling us to take a step of faith and step out of this career into another career. And you're like, well, what's going to happen if I do? God's calling us to start a family. And we sense the Holy Spirit's calling. But, well, how are we going to pay for this? And God's calling. He's like, well, I need to figure this whole thing out. And so here's what happens. What happens is we stay in Antioch of Pisidia our whole life. We never get to our Macedonia because we're not willing to take one step at a time. We want to know the whole travel itinerary before we get there. And God doesn't work that way. And so you've got tons of believers who are missing God's call on their life, missing the adventure, never going to experience God's plan because they won't follow one step at a time. 
that that's the way it works in the kingdom. More often than not, follow me one step at a time. Now, number four. The last principle is that God speaks when we listen. And parentheses, usually not before. Uh, We've talked about this before, but it's so critical. I want to come back to it again because it just goes to the heart of the matter. Uh, One of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament is a story of young Samuel. We talked about him earlier. You know, he's a young kid. He's destined to be a prophet. He doesn't know that yet. God speaks to him in the middle of the night. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, uh, doesn't recognize the voice, goes into Eli. You call me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happens a couple times. Second time, uh, Eli realizes what's going on. He says, hey, next time this happened, third time this happened, here's what you say. I love this. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is, you remember? Listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And here's what I want to suggest. That is the only appropriate posture that we can have if you want to have God speak in your life. If you want God to speak in your life, our posture has to be, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And by that, we mean we're listening and ready to follow. In fact, in both Hebrew and Greek, it's kind of fascinating, the words for uh, Hebrew and Greek, shema and akuo, uh, to hear or to listen, they both carry with them connotations of to obey. To hear is to obey. To listen is to follow. And especially when God is in, in the conversation, right? And so the question is, um, you know, are you ready to listen and follow? Because what often happens in our life is we want to ask God for advice, and then after he gives the advice, we will decide whether we will take it. That is not listening and following. That's just listening. And yet so often, exactly what we want to do. Um, What we've seen all through Acts is this beautiful example of the early church that they were so quick to listen and follow. Just just, uh, think with me rapidly. Philip, effective ministry, chapter 8. All kinds of people coming to Christ. An angel of the Lord says, go to the road outside that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. doesn't tell him why. He just go. And he goes. When he gets there, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Run up by the chariot. Stay by it. He runs up by the chariot. Stays by it. No wise involved in any of this. Notice the one step at a time, too. Peter, three guys downstairs. Don't be afraid. Go down. Meet them. Don't be afraid to go with them. Don't hesitate to go. I've sent them. He gets down. Even though they're Gentiles and he doesn't hang with Gentiles, it's completely outside of his, his paradigm. He follows. You get to chapter 11. Agabus, hey, there's going to be a great famine in the world. What does the church of Antioch do? They take an initiative for the poor immediately, for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Chapter 13, the church uh, at Antioch, the leaders are there. The Holy Spirit says, separate Saul and Barnabas. Take two of your senior pastors, send them out. Done. We're done. They pray and they, they go. We've seen it today here in Acts 16 and verse 10. I don't know if you caught this, but in Acts 16, 10, it says that after he had the vision, it said they immediately packed up and went. They didn't hang around. They listened and they followed. What I want you to catch is that if you want to have God speak in your life, that it's a matter of your heart. That God will speak to those who are ready to listen. And I want to paint this in a larger brush because often we come to a topic like this we tend to pigeonhole it. Hey, this is a message about hearing God and, and how to hear God and what to do when he speaks and so on. What we miss is this whole topic is part of a much larger relationship. When you came to Jesus, he called you into intimate relationship with himself. In fact, often in the Bible, the relationship that God uses to describe his relationship with us as his people is marriage, the closest of all relationships. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul will describe the union of a husband and wife and their sexual union as this picture that was designed to help us understand the relationship between God and his people. I mean, the message of the Bible is God loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants relationship with you. He has invited us into relationship. It's an exclusive relationship. It's a marriage-like relationship. 
And this is why the Bible says over and over again that God's top concern for our life is that we would love him with half of our heart. Remember that? Yeah, you don't remember that one, yeah. Yeah, it's a heretical version. Yeah, like there's no verse that says, hey, this is the top commandment. Love me with 80% of your heart, you know. Hey, I'm going in for the 70% version. No, no, it's like God calls us into a passionate relationship where his love for us, our love for him exceeds all other loves in our life. He's number one in our, we love him, he loves us, he's the most important person in our life, we're passionate about him, and catch that, that is the context into which God speaks. I want you to think about this in your life, in my life, who do you share the secrets of your heart with? Do you share them with a stranger? Do you share them with an acquaintance? Do you share them with someone you barely know? Of course not. You share the secrets of your heart with someone that you love and care about and you trust at a very deep level. And this is the context of God speaking. God wants to speak to us to lead the guy, but he speaks within the context of relationship. A relationship where we truly love him. He loves us. And we're not just asking him for advice on this area of our life. Should I go to college or not? I just want to run my own life over here, but I want to mess it up. Could you weigh in on this one? He's like, no, no, no. Come back when you're ready to come under my leadership. You see, in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, one of the ways that people who love God, pursue God, are described is people who fear the Lord. They fear Yahweh, Lord, all caps. And so it doesn't mean like a cringing fear, like, oh my gosh, here he comes, I'm going to run high. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like the fear, like it's a respect of who God is, who we are, coming under his leadership, love, trust, and also a fear element that we, hey, you don't mess with God. And all that's, all that's encompassed in this Hebrew phrase of fear Yahweh. And there in your note sheet, David talks about this, Psalm 25. He talks about hearing God in our life and who God speaks to. And he, he, he asks this great question. He says, who is the man who fears the Lord? What, what happens in the life of a person like that? He says that Yahweh will instruct him in the way he should choose. You catch that? So David's saying, um, what happens when someone fears Yahweh, loves Yahweh? What happens? He says, well, that kind of person is the kind of person that God will speak to. And then he goes on, he says, the secret, uh, this is from the New American Standard, and uh, two other footnotes, if you had a New American Standard of the Hebrew there, uh, the secret or the counsel or the intimacy, I especially love that one, the intimacy of the Lord. The intimacy of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. Hey, if you want to hear God's voice, it's not like going to a fortune teller. It's not like, hey, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to go to this fortune teller and then hear what my future is going to be and then I'll decide whether to follow or not. It doesn't work like that. Hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to God and get his advice on this and decide whether. That's not how it works. No, God speaks in context of relationship and it's a relationship of love. And we come under his leadership and we surrender our lives, then God begins to speak because now he can trust us with his secrets for his life and our life because that's who you trust your secrets to. Some of you are in relate. Does this make sense? And so many times we come, hey, God, should I take this job? What should I do with my marriage? What should I do with this? Should I pursue this? And we, we're not really in that relationship. We're just trying to use God to achieve our purposes as opposed to coming into relationship to achieve his purposes. I love how Dallas Willard puts this on your note sheet. The first quote there says, our failure to hear his voice when we want is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. We want some advice in this area, not the rest of the area. Hey, stay out of the living room, stay out of the kitchen. I see some advice about the bedroom, kind of remodeling here. Oh, don't go in the closet. Hey, don't go in the closet. Hey, stay out of the garage. It's a mess. 
just this part of my life. I want some direction there. And God says, no, I'm like the architect. If you want to redesign your life, I need a blueprint for your life. And I have the keys to every room. Look what uh, Henry Blackaby says again. He says, what you do immediately after the Spirit speaks to you through his word. And so you talk about this. God speaks to us through his word in a message. You're reading and you know what he's saying. He says, what we do immediately after the Spirit speaks to you through his word is critical. If God speaks and you hear, but you do not respond, a time could come when you don't hear his voice. It's what I call the dimmer switch principle we talk about often. If you hear God's word and do not apply it to produce fruit in your life, even what you think you have will be taken away. Be careful how you listen to God. Make up your mind that when the Spirit of God speaks to you, you will do whatever he says. And then one of my favorites from Oswald Chambers, he's like a spiritual mentor to me. He says, the golden rule for understanding, like your spiritual life, you want to understand God's will, understand his plan for your life, understand how, how life works. The golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters, it's not intellect, it's not a, a matter of how smart you are, it's obedience. In other words, you'll understand as much as you obey. Obey God in the thing that he shows you, and instantly the next thing is opened up. You obey God, don't go to Asia, then you go to Bethany, one step at a time, he'll show you, Right? God will never reveal more truth about himself until you have obeyed what you already know. If things are dark to us spiritually, it's because there is something we will not do. So I have a question for you, and it's a heart-to-heart question, no raising of hands, my heart to your heart, but the question, incredibly important, are you a person that fears Yahweh today? Because if you don't, don't trust, don't expect him to speak. But if you do, this is promised that he will lead you, he will guide you, he will teach you, he will draw close, he will reveal himself. And so what a beautiful thing if today, if you say, you know what, that's not been my experience, but I want it to be. What a beautiful thing today if you were to have a heart-to-heart with Jesus right now and just come under his leadership and repent. I'm so sorry for not listening. I've, I've used it as a consultant. I check in from time to time. I ask what you think, and then I live my life as if you don't exist half the time. I ask you for these three areas, but not this area. I'm afraid of what you'll say. What a beautiful thing today, if you would come under his leadership and surrender and say, Lord, I want to come to you with open hands. I, I don't want to play that game anymore. I want to be under your leadership so all rooms in my life are available. Anything you want to say, I'm available. And what I'd like you to do right now is we're going to have a, I've asked the band to play a particular song. It's like to wash over you as you reflect, spend time with the Lord, and see if there's something that you need to decide or do today. And oh God, that's our prayer, that we wait. God, we are waiting upon you. As a servant to a master, we're waiting for your command. God, there's nothing that we want more in our lives than to know you and please you and to experience your presence you're leading, guiding. God, I know it just changes everything. When you speak, when that word of insight comes from that aha experience, that download, when that word comes alive, and it just, it breathes power, and it breathes confidence, and it brings strength, and all is right, because we sense you are alive and well, and speaking in our lives, ruling over your creation. And God, when your word is distant, when your voice is dim, we can't hear it, God, we lose our path. And so, God, we live on your word. Like you said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God, we live on your word. God, it's our life. And so, God, we pray that whether it's through your written word or through the voice of your spirit, through signs, wonders, through prophecies and dreams, visions, prophetic words, however you want to speak, God, we want to be a church that is open and listening because we live off of your word. Your word speaks life to us, God. And we are desperate for your word. You wrote in Jeremiah that your people are dying for a lack of your word. And God, we don't want to be that people. We want to be alive and well, strong, kicking, because the word of the Lord 
as Luke says so many times in Acts, the word of the Lord is growing and increasing. And so, God, we want to be that people that live in the presence of your word. Your word is life and it's truth. And it's the light on our path that directs our way. So, God, may we be a people that would listen and follow, that you might be a God that would speak and lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen, Rocky Peak.